The New York Football Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with ticket prices up to 60% off. Sure, there's all your big sports games, Giants games, uh, Jets games, Yankees games in the summer, all of that stuff, but it goes beyond that as well. Theater tickets on Broadway, it's the holidays. You can get tickets to the Rockettes at Radio City Music Hall. Those available on Game Time as well. You can do it all with the easy two-tap checkout. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. You're listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. This is a historically young team that's going out there and competing against some really good football teams. And we've got to do what we have to do to win games. And I understand that. But they also are developing. At some point, we'll be good enough to win. The question is, will Pat Shermer be the head coach when that day comes? Tim McMaster here bringing you the New York Football Podcast along with Dan Duggan, our writer for the Giants here at The Athletic. Uh, And Dan, this team is young, but that should be a positive, not a negative for a team in the NFL. It means you're young and active, you're going to start winning games, and it doesn't seem like this team is in that place. So let's start there with the excuse game, and we'll get into Shermer, but it seems like this has become a, a weekly thing where he says, well, yeah, we lost, but hey, we're young, and it's it's just not flying. Yeah, no, I mean, I think some I don't know what he could say. There's nothing he could say at this point that would appease the fan base. I mean, you know, to quote another Giants coach, you are your record says you are, and when you've lost eight straight games, you know, he could get up there and do a variety show at the, you know, the podium, and no one's going to be entertained. Like, he can't say anything. So I don't mind him, you know, banging the youth drum. I've said all along that that's kind of the only card he has to play. It's sort of that and Daniel Jones' development. So, you know, whatever. I can live with that. The one he really needs to just keep behind closed doors is this idea that they're making progress behind closed doors. Like, tell that to John Mara and Dave Gettleman so you're blue in the face. And, you know, they're out at practice so you can point out things. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. You know, that's his prerogative. I mean, fans do not want to hear that. I mean, he even makes kind of... This comment he's made a couple times this week, and then Saquon Barkley parroted it. You know, we're only out of practice for like 15 minutes, and it's like stretching, a little bit of individual stuff. So you're not seeing kind of like the meat and potatoes of practice. And he's like, you know, so you guys report off of that. No, we don't. We report off what happens on Sunday. Like, even if you gave us the entire, you know, two-hour window to watch practice, we're not going to like report on incremental improvements, you know, against the scout team. Like, that's just like, it's such a weird angle that he's taken on that, like, that what happens you know, Monday to Saturday is equally as important as what happens on Sunday. Like, no, you're only judge on what happens on Sunday. And again, to, to, you know, quote Bill Parcells again, you know, no medals for trying was one of his sayings. And it's like, this is the NFL. It goes back to, it drove me crazy last year, how we heard so much about how the team fought and they never, you know, packed it in and there was close games. It does not matter. You're a professional football team. This You're not Furman going into Alabama and you get a you know a pat on the back for not you know being down forty to nothing at halftime. If I have to hear one more time that you know it was a close game but it got away from us, well, like getting away from you counts. Like that that's why you're a bad team. If you're a good team, it wouldn't get away from you. You would actually win a game every now and then. So as you can probably hear my voice, I'm just so tired of the message. 
And I, I know the fan base is even, you know, more tired of it because, man, even if you write something, you know, marginally positive, which I really haven't done in a while with Shermer, I mean, the fan base is 10 times more, you know, vitriolic towards him. I mean, they're just so tired of him. I just, again, I don't think there's anything he could say at the podium, but what he's trying to, to pass across is just totally falling on deaf ears at this point. And then even the idea of, you know, like, you know, when we're good enough to win or when we win, like, he's not going to be here for that. Like, and that, you know, I, I you know, that's, that's uh, you know, I'm sure a tough pill for him to swallow. But it's, it's so far gone at this point. That I can't see any way John Mara can stand up at the podium on December 30th and say, listen, you know, we just went 3-13, and 13, you know, maybe 4-12, and 12, whatever it is. But we've seen enough signs from Pat Shermer that he's the guy to, you know, lead us into year three. Like, there's just no way that happens. Now, I'm not reporting that, like, you know, the – Giants haven't been, you know, leaking their feelings or anything like that. You haven't seen any reports, you know, coming from their side. So they're they're letting things play out. They're not going to fire him during the year. But again, I just you just look at it logically. It would be impossible to sell to this fan this uh, fan base that Pat Shermer's the guy. So I mean, when he makes a statement like that, I mean, I guess you know the next guy, you know, what maybe have some success and, and a little piece of Pat Shermer will feel some vindication or whatever. But he's just, he's just not going to be the guy. There's just way too much evidence um, that he isn't the guy. And, you know, I think he's just in, in a completely hopeless situation at this point. Yeah, and it seems like he's entered kind of job protection mode where it's just excuses and, and hopeful things for the future. You quoted Bill Parcells to quote another former head coach, Jerry Glanville. The NFL can stand for not for long. Um, <laughs> and that's <laughs> sounds like and feels like where Shermer's headed. We're going to talk about how Daniel Jones played in this game, the defensive struggles at times, and how Aaron Rodgers was able to pick them apart. But just wanted to start with some more Shermer things. As far as moves in this game, Dan, and and there aren't a huge amount that stand out as like, oh, he, he botched that or he botched this. Um, there were a few um, – Things that were, they just kind of make you scratch your head a little bit. One of them, end of the first half, he he really fights hard to get the ball back, call some timeouts, um, really gives Aaron Rodgers a few chances to make them pay for it, but they get away with it and they get the ball back, and then it seemed like they didn't really try to score. And my thing is, if you're going to fight to get the ball back, do something with it. Yeah, and, and that's the point You know, we've made many times on this podcast during the season, sort of like this inconsistent approach of, you know, being overly aggressive at times and then being overly conservative and just not really having, you know, a coaching identity that like, I mean, listen, I was second, get first guessing the timeout in, in that situation because it seemed like the Packers were content to just, you know, head into the locker room, you know, up 17 to 10. I think it was like second and 14 with just under a minute left. Uh, the clock's running. Shermer calls a timeout, obviously, you know, trying to preserve as much time to get the ball back. I don't want to give Aaron Rodgers a second thought. Like, hey, maybe we can, uh, you know, mount a little drive here. Now, fortunately for the Giants, he threw incomplete on second down. Uh, and then they, you know, they ran a draw on third down, you know, content to just, you know, sit on the lead and get into halftime. But Shermer calls a timeout after the draw. So there's like 40 seconds left, I believe, when they get the ball back. Now, granted, they have no timeouts and, and the punt didn't, you know, maybe they think and they pop a return or something, then they'll be aggressive. But, you know, it's like a, a draw a short pass and then just the, you know, end of the half type draw where there's no chance you're, you're trying to do anything. So it's like, I just don't get it. Like, like why are you calling the timeout to aggressively get the ball back? You get the ball back and then you show no confidence in actually making a play. Even the first down run picked up like 13 yards. So if you want to go hurry up and, and try to do something there, you had an opportunity, but it, it just, I mean, I, I've made this point, you know, probably every week. It's these little things that to our initial point of like, you know, when the team gets there and when they're ready to win, 
these little things just keep showing up to me that says Pat Shermer is not going to be the guy in those situations when the when the talent is better on the roster, and and that's the stuff you know you have to evaluate him on. Sure, it's tough to win when you're you know starting a bunch of rookies in the secondary against Aaron Rodgers, but the stuff that's in his control, he still doesn't just seem to have a very good handle on it. And you know again, that's just like a small example. And like I said, there wasn't a ton in this game. Because, you know, this game was never in doubt. I mean, I know the, the score was relatively close. I mean, that, that felt like more of a, a product of some super long drives by both teams. I mean, the Giants had like a 20-play drive that, you know, chewed up like 10 minutes, but only ended in a field goal. Packers had a couple long drives. But, I mean, it seemed like whenever the Packers needed a score, you know, they got the score. And, obviously, the Giants, uh, you know, weren't consistently able to to take care of the ball and move the ball. But, uh, again, just for Sherman, it's just, it's just the same same kind of story week after week. And, uh Again, I just feel like the evidence is in at this point, and the book should be pretty much closed. Yeah, one of those moments where the the Packers really needed a score was fourth quarter. Somehow, it's still seventeen to thirteen. Somehow, the Giants are within four points in this game, but it's third and goal from the seventeen. The Giants have been able to push uh, the Packers back with some mistakes, and it looks like the Packers are going to have to settle for a field goal. The Giants will get the ball back in the fourth quarter, down a touchdown. Which I think, if going into this game. Somebody said to you they were in that scenario, even if it didn't feel like they were in the game, you would certainly take that. Um, but instead, it's a blown coverage, confusion everywhere, and Rodgers throws a 17-yard touchdown pass on third and goal from the 17. It's just the confusion can't happen in a spot that big. Yeah, and it's just like it's stuff that everyone who has watched Aaron Rodgers plays knows he is a master of those quick snaps, catching when you try and sub. But so like, let's go back and, and replay the whole scenario from like an X's and O's standpoint. Yeah. So they get a, a, I think it was a, a short pass that lost three yards on you know second goal from the 14. So they're already you know backed up, and now it's third and goal from the 17. You, they already had their nickel personnel on the field, like they had Grant Hanley as the extra defensive back. And for some reason, losing those three yards, you know, someone on the sideline decided they need to make like wholesale changes. They were going to put um, Dayon De- Buchanan in, and he takes out David Mayo in like obvious passing situations. Uh, but I mean, you can live with David Mayo. You just you did it on second and, and goal from from far away, and they were taking out one of the defensive linemen. I can't remember. I think it was um, I can't remember it was Tomlinson, and they were going to put in Lorenzo Carter to get you know another edge rusher on. Like, that's all well and good, except the Packers didn't sub. <laughs> so you can't be making, like, multiple substitutions far away from your bench, too, because they're in the red zone. So guys have to run a you know, decent distance. And knowing how good Aaron Rodgers is, you can probably get away from it, get away with it against a young quarterback who's going to look to the sideline, you know, get the play. Aaron Rodgers isn't doing any of that. And as soon as he saw the little bit of confusion and he saw one guy, two guys come on, only one go off, he immediately knew what he was going to do. And now the problem is, not only can Buchanan not get to the sideline, and he wasn't even particularly close. A lot of times you get 12 men, it's like a guy's foot is you know just on the ground leaving the air um, you know, as the ball gets snapped. He was like five steps from the sideline. But the bigger problem was the secondary was totally discombobulated. You got a bunch of young guys. You know, Obviously, they were in a scramble mode. So I don't even know how they could even have had a defensive call because you know guys were still just figuring who's supposed to be on the field at the point, the point the ball got snapped. And you know, Sam Beal looked like he was totally confused where – you know, Adams ran an in-breaking route, and he went out, and, and no one picked him up. And it was just an easy pitch and catch on a play that, you know, really should not be. Obviously, you're talking third and goal from the 17. But it's just, I don't understand how Shermer, Betcher, you know, Alec Ogletree, Antoine Bethea, somebody in that situation doesn't see, we're a mess, and it's third and goal here. Let's call the timeout, 
get things settled, you get get our personnel we want on the field. And like you said, you know, you're, you're, you're giving up a field goal there. You're still only a one score down. Instead, you know, obviously, worst case scenario happens. They get the touchdown. It's a two-score game. You know, Jones throws the pick and it's over. But I just don't understand how they felt like they were going to be able to sort that thing out. It, you know, once you tried to sub, which again, I don't understand why it was, you know, there was so much emphasis to sub in that situation. Again, you would just had your nickel personnel on the field on second long, uh, second and goal from, from far away. So uh, an unnecessary substitution, totally just outfoxed by Aaron Rodgers. But again, that's what he does. So I don't know how that could catch you by surprise. And then the final sort of you know move they could make is call a timeout. Obviously, they don't because they're just not a, a well-coached team. They don't execute well. So they get caught with their pants down in a huge situation and you know, basically that end of the game. All right, so they've now lost eight consecutive regular season games. If they lose a ninth next week against the Eagles at a Monday night game, it would be a franchise record. There's only one team in the NFL worse right now. That's the Cincinnati Bengals. They beat the Jets on Sunday, so rough day all around for New York. But through all of these struggles, Dan, it seems like we, we've kind of gone back to it, that the team's still playing hard, that Shermer's still in the locker room, still has the player, and you've talked about players on his side, and you've talked about how little that could necessarily matter. But now there's some cracks in that wall a little bit as Janoris Jenkins, after the game, starting to call out uh, Betcher, saying he wants to be the kind of corner that is on the best receiver and not just on one side of the field. And I think the way he phrased it was, Rabbit doesn't travel anymore. <laughs> All the other corners travel. Um, but the, we haven't heard a lot of this for, as far as players saying negatives about the coaching staff. Now that's starting. And, and I would imagine it's not going to get any better here in the next four weeks. Yeah, I mean, we haven't heard any of this stuff because any, any guy who would have opened his mouth is in, is in Cleveland or Detroit or New Orleans right now. So Jenkins somehow has kind of survived the purge. But And he spoke up, we remember, back in week two where he wasn't happy um, but the pass rush and that loss of the Bills where you know he got kind of picked on a little bit in that game. Everyone got picked on that game, but you know, he called out the pass rush and, and you know, every team does the same song and dance. Oh, I got taken out of context. You know, we talked about it. You guys misunderstood what he said. Uh, this one's gonna be a little harder for them to clean up because yep. uh, he, he was pretty direct and clear with his criticisms and totally pointing the finger at Betcher for how he's being deployed. Now listen, I'll say two things on this. He has a point. Like it's tough. I mean, he's the best cornerback. And so it's tough to watch Devontae Adams, you know, catch two touchdown passes while being sort of covered. I use that word loosely by Sam Beal. And then another time he got open in just a zone where, you know, Ogletree and Bethay were, were both sort of out of position. So I understand that you're, you know, you see yourself as a top corner. So you don't want to see your team, you know, get beat by the other team's number one receiver. Allen Robinson did it in the Bears last week. So I, I understand his frustration. But my counterpoint is he hasn't been playing like a top corner the last couple of years. I mean, let's remember... They did all this, you know, rabbit traveled against the Bucks in week three, and Mike Evans completely <laughs> undressed him. So this idea that, like, this is 2016 jackrabbit that you can put on Des Bryant and just shut him down for a game, that isn't reality. That isn't who he's been for a couple of years. And the other point is, even if, you know, he do do that, and again, there's times where it certainly is tough to see Grant Haley, Grant Haley get beat by Devontae Adams. You would rather probably see Jenkins on him in that situation because he's clearly their best corner. But then a guy like Alan Lazard, who like who is that? I mean, I'm in fantasy football. I've, I've never seen his name. He has three catches for 103 yards. So it's like, okay, so even if you want to say, you know, what if they took Adams away? Some schlub who's had like 200 yards all season goes off for 100 yards and is beating everybody. So, like, I get Jenkins' frustration, but I think Betcher's in such an untenable situation because it, it's like whack-a-mole. Like, or, you know, he's plugged one hole, another one springs open because 
they just have so many weak spots in that secondary. So like you can't cover for everybody. Like it was funny. I was just at the post game show on my ride home and, and Carl Banks was saying how they, they you know, kind of left Grant Haley out to dry. I mean, he had to come in. He obviously already lost his job, but Corey Ballantyne got a concussion. So they needed to put Haley back on the field. And he was kind of criticizing the coaching step because he's, you know, he said like, you're putting Haley in the slot. That's like putting him in a tough spot. I mean, he's a slot corner. Like, what are they supposed to do? Like, he's he's 5'9", 180. Like, the fact that he's a good tackler, he's not going to be a middle linebacker. He has to be able to cover somebody. He can't. Like, there's not a heck of a lot of options on this defense. And listen, I am I was a little more defending of, of Betcher early in the season. I mean, he's obviously gone too, so I'm, 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 I'm off of that. Um, but I, you still have to say, like, who's he supposed to put on the other receivers? Because Baker can't cover anybody. Haley can't cover anybody. Ballantyne can't cover anybody. Beal, you know, we haven't seen very much of him. Doesn't mean he can cover anybody. But they can't cover anybody. Like, so Jenkins can't cover the entire receiving course. Okay, you put him on Devontae Adams all game. Well, then, you know, Lazar's going to have 200 yards. And, you know, all these other guys are going to go off. And I, I get the idea if you want to put your best on their best. But they tried that against Tampa and it didn't work then. So I think that it's it's just kind of a it's, it's kind of like a selfish comment, too, because Jenkins has had a weird trend on Twitter lately where he goes on and, and just tries to remind everybody how great he is. And he, and he like points to his stats. It's like, dude, you're, you're on like one of the worst defenses in the league. So, like, nobody cares how many touchdowns you've not given up or whatever. Like, it's just it's just like he's ne- he, he totally, you know, marches to his own beat. But it's just really tone deaf to be like promoting your individual play when A, it hasn't been that great, and B, the team is just, you know, crumbling around him. So, like, I don't, no one really wants to hear that. So, uh, you know, I think he probably has a reasonable gripe with Betcher. Definitely didn't handle it the right way. This is the stuff that gets under Shermer's skin big time. He's not going to be happy with it. He's not going to be happy talking about it. Um, so, now is this going to show you know, big cracks in the foundation. I mean, it could. And the other thing is like Jenkins is supposed to be the leader of this, you know, young secondary group. That's a little scary because if DeAndre Baker and Sam Beal and, and Corey Ballantyne are, are taking their cues from this guy, I don't know. That doesn't, that doesn't <laughs> seem so promising for, you know, how they're going to, their attitudes are going to be shaped. So, uh, I mean, it's just like everything else. It's just a mess. The team's a mess. And, and the idea that all oh, the locker room hasn't revolted, like that's super rare. What happened to Ben McAdoo in 2017 is very rare. Most teams just stink. And have minor brush fires, but they kind of stink quietly. That's pretty much been Shermer's MO. And the idea that that's like a big selling point to me has always just blown my mind. All right, we're going to move on to the quarterback and talk about how he played. But first, weekends are made for football. And with so many college and pro games on the slate, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can make your weekend even better. Actually, now that I think of it, with all the hoops and hockey action going on, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can get you in on the action 24-7, 365 days a year. With so much going on this week, they have great promotions running every day. From odds boosts to free bets, DraftKings has it all. DraftKings Sportsbook is so easy to use. You can deposit, place your bets, and withdraw in a matter of seconds. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook will give new users a free bet just for signing up. Download the DraftKings app now and use code QUICK for a limited time. All new users can get a free bet on sign-up. Plus, when you make your first bet, you can get a risk-free bet up to $500. That's code QUICK to place your first bet and you can get a risk-free bet up to $500 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, Dan, let's move on to Daniel Jones, and we'll we'll do our kind of weekly summation of the, the future of the franchise, so to speak. Um, you did a story actually this week. You wrote a story on The Athletic talking about how much Daniel Jones – 
how much freedom he has within the offense. So we can talk about that a little bit as well. But first off, his performance on the day, 20 of 37, 248 yards. He had the touchdown, three interceptions. And this was more classic Shermer, right? After the game saying, <laughs> well, you didn't fumble. <laughs> like, Because uh, everyone's been critical of the fumble. So he didn't fumble. So it's fine that he, he threw three interceptions. Some of the picks were bad. I mean, that, I mean, I'm like shaking my head. That was an incredible, <laughs> incredible defense. I mean, again, he's just, he's just flailing. I mean, I think he's, I think he takes the Jones criticism particularly personal because that's sort of what I think he's going to have to hitch his wagon to. He's going to have to go to John Mara and Dave Gettleman and whoever else and say, listen, I know the season was a disaster, but look at how far Daniel Jones has come. You know, I, I'm known as a you know quarterback guru, whatever you want to call him. And now, like, he can present Daniel Jones' development and how, like, getting rid of him would disrupt that. Like, that has to be, you know, basically his main card to, to play to ownership. But to say, because the question was, you know, how the t- turnovers are concerned. Because, I mean, listen, he hadn't thrown many picks lately. Now, obviously, we know about the fumble problem. And then he throws three picks. And Schirmer says, well, at least they weren't fumbles, right? Like, as if, like, you know, his brilliant coaching just, you know, you got, got rid of those fumbles. But now the, you know, the picks, again, it goes back to the whole whack-a-mole idea with this team where it's just they fix one problem and, you know, two others appear. Uh, it was it was probably Jones's worst game. And, you know, I've totally been on, you know, sort of like this island, just I feel like defending him and, and you know, pumping him up a little bit. Uh, you know, I had a tweet that I knew would kind of come back at me after he – he threw that touchdown to Shepard, you know, answered him, the snow's coming down. And I said, you know, he has like this it factor. And, you know, if you can't see it, uh, you know, I don't know what to say. And, of course, you know, pick one, pick two. By the third pick, I said, well, that tweet's going to get thrown back. I mean, you know, sure enough, you know, a lot of people were coming out of the woodwork after the third pick. But I still stand by it. I mean, he shows me more good than bad week in and week out. Now, again, yesterday was not a good performance. Let's keep in mind, and I don't I hate making, you know, injury excuses. We're just, you know, up and down with Barkley. We've talked about it. But. I do think, you know, he got his right ankle rolled up on that fourth and two conversion, which was a hell of a tough run. He ran through a 265-pound linebacker, got the Y knocked off his helmet on that hit, and then, you know, obviously got his ankle rolled up. So I think that probably, you know, impacted him somewhat. But listen, you know, no excuses. Um, and at the same time, you know, the picks, like they were they were bad throws the first two. The third one, he's trying to make a play. You know, Shermer kind of put that one totally on Darius Slayton that he's got to, you know, either break that up or catch it. You know, whatever, like young quarterbacks are going to make mistakes. So I think, especially on a bad team, I mean, his leading receiver yesterday was Caden Smith. So like he doesn't have a heck of a lot to work with. Offensive line isn't great. And we've documented Saquon's up and down to all the other guys in and out of the lineup, Tate, Engram, Shepard. Like he hasn't had a very stable situation uh, to work from. And I just think you still see enough glimmers that like there's something to build on. And I just feel like people's views of, you know, rookie quarterbacks are so warped. Like most of them don't look good or they don't look consistently good. That's so hard to come in. And this is a kid again, who people didn't think should have even been the sixth pick talking about the Kansas city model, the green Bay model. It wasn't even supposed to start this year. And he's been thrown right into the fire with a bad defense, a bad coaching staff and a inconsistent supporting cast. We'll say on offense. And I, again, I just, I see enough positive flashes there that, listen, I don't know, maybe, maybe some of his flaws are going to just, you know, limit his ceiling, you know, the, the, you know, ball security, some of the pocket awareness stuff, like maybe that's not fixable and that's going to prevent him from ever being you know a top five quarterback, but he's going to be like a, a top 20 quarterback minimum, in my opinion. I think he'll be higher than that, but like, I think he has, you know, a pretty low floor. Like, I think there's a, 
I mean, a pretty high floor. There's a good amount of talent there to work with. He make great throws. He's tough. He, you know, again, he always kind of answers the bell. So I, I see enough there to, to give some promise. But again, you're going to have games like yesterday. And to, to the story that I wrote about the, the change plays the line, that be kind of became a hot topic because there were some, you know, runs in that Bears game where, like, Saquon had no chance. Like, he got the handoff and just got swarmed by defenders. And so it makes you wonder, like, Eli always got a claim for how good he was at reading defense before the snap, you know, making the correct checks. So I wanted to look into, you know, how much freedom Jones has in that respect. So, I mean, everyone, it's hard to really drill down that. You get a lot of wishy-washy answers when you ask Jones and Shula and Shermer especially. But, you know, I did some kind of, you know, nosing around. And basically the conclusion I came to was he has the same freedom that Eli did. Like, Eli couldn't get up to the line and just, like, totally change the formation, go from, a, you know, a, an inside zone run to, like, we're going to drop back and, you know, throw some crazy pass or anything like it's, it's kind of like a, a check will be attached to a play. So if the play is, you know, a run, there's a pass that's automatically the check. And, and I, as far as I know, that was the same with Eli under Shermer. I'm sure it was different, you know, back in the day with Gilbride and maybe McAdoo. I don't know. Um, so Jones has that same freedom, but of course he's not going to be as adept at it as Eli. I mean, Eli had seen yeah. every conceivable defense, every look. I mean, he could do that stuff in his sleep, you know, get to the line. Oh, this safety's playing here. I'm going to check to that. Bang, bang, boom. Like with Jones, it's it's just one more thing that he, he's trying to figure out. You know, they don't do it a lot in college. No program does because everyone's running these spreads. And, um, you know, so much of it's just kind of called in from the sideline. You run the play. So he's he's learning that on the fly, too. And I think he's, you know, progressing there. But it's it, that's definitely going to be a work in progress. I mean, let's also keep in mind, he hasn't even had a full offseason as the starting quarterback. He was the backup all offseason. And Eli got the lion's share of reps. So, I mean, there's still a long way to go with Jones' development and the pre-snap stuff, I think is you know, going to be one of the biggest challenges for any young quarterback because you're just seeing things for the first time. So, of course, you're not going to be as good as the 16-year veteran. Um, but I, I just felt that was an interesting thing to kind of drill down on, especially when there's so little football to write about that people care about because the games are so hopeless. Uh, but I thought that was interesting to kind of find out how that structure with Shermer and, and the fact that Jones you know, pretty much has the same freedom as Eli, just obviously isn't as good at it yet. Um, and then just to wrap it up, I mean, as far as yesterday's game, there'll be days like that. I mean, you know, veteran quarterbacks have days like that. Um, so now the question is, how does he respond? It's going to be another, you know, tough game going on the road to Philly, Monday Night Football. And, you know, in my opinion, history shows he'll probably respond pretty well because he has shown that sort of mental toughness and resiliency. I will say this, that it's not going to help Shermer, obviously. He's, he's likely to lose his job. But when you look back on the decision to put Daniel Jones in way back towards the beginning of the season as opposed to hanging on to Eli for much of the season, you can see the benefits of it because all these things, all these little bumps in the road were, are going to happen whenever a guy gets into the game, whether he took a season of watching from the sidelines or played right away. So I think just the fact that Jones is is getting these mistakes made and learning from them this season when this team's not going anywhere should benefit someone eventually in this franchise. I'm not sure who that is, but, but eventually somebody should benefit. 100%. And that's why it's crazy to me when I have people in my mentions saying they never should have benched Eli or what would their record be if Eli was playing? A, it probably would be that much better. Like, Do we remember that right. Eli wasn't exactly able to lift bad teams on his shows last couple of years? But who cares? Like, I understand the one thing is the NFC is so bad. Maybe they would go seven and nine with Eli and sneak in. Um, but again, th this was the whole point of why it made sense to bench Eli and play Jones because the team is terrible. So like you said, at some point, 
Jones was going to go in, get thrown to the you know Wolves, struggle, and then you hope comes out in the other end a better guy. The sooner you start that process, the better. I can't even imagine if they really stuck with Eli all year. And let's say they went six and ten, and it would look better at the end of the year, I guess, than three and thirteen or whatever it'll end up being. And then you go into next year. Knowing absolutely nothing about Daniel Jones, you're going to have another top five pick or whatever, top 10 pick. Do you take a quarterback? I don't know. Like, what did Jones show you in the preseason? Like, it would be mind-blowing if they had done that. So, for all the things they've gotten wrong, pulling the plug on Eli when they did was the right move. And listen, it's it's unfortunate that Eli, you know, his, his career has come to such an unceremonious end. But, like, you know, everything comes to an end. And once they took Jones, we knew the clock was started. But, yes, all of these things that Jones is learning right now, you have to believe will benefit him in 2020, 2021. Now, if at that point, two, three years down the road, he's still making these same mistakes, well, then we can say, well, all right, I guess he wasn't the guy. Like, we saw those glimpses, but he was just, you know, he's Jameis Winston where, like, the highs are really high and the lows are really low. I mean, that's to be determined. But I would much rather start, you know, that evaluation process as soon as possible, again, with a team that's going nowhere. It's like people forget how Eli looked as a rookie. Like, did anyone think? in 2004 that Eli Manning was going to be winning Super Bowls within whatever it was three or four years no but he was a totally different guy in 2005 because he had learned from all that adversity and the team got a little bit better they started making the playoffs and, and then he was you know ready for prime time when he got his opportunity you just hope the same thing plays out with Jones but you you wouldn't have gained anything by going six and ten with Eli sitting Jones all season and then presumably moving on from Eli and having to hand the reins to Jones next year at least he'll be ahead of the game next year should be able to hit the ground running, know what he needs to work on, all these things we're talking about that he's seeing for the first time, he won't be seeing for the first time next year. So all of that, you know, was the right philosophy. Again, one of the few things this regime has gotten right, and you would think sets them up for a quicker transition to success once the rest of the roster is in a healthier position. We've talked a lot about Saquon Barkley and the tentativeness and just not being quite up to, to the level we're used to seeing him through his rookie season. Looked a little bit better on Sunday. 19 carries for 83 yards. There was some real hard runs in there. Um, I know he said during the week that he was kind of like, enough, enough of this, I'm going to run hard. And um, did you do those numbers in your mind, um, are they true to the way he ran? Did he look different out there? Yeah, I mean, I think he ran harder, and I think he was a little more decisive. Um, you know, I think it's also a product of the Jets had a great run defense, the Bears had a great run defense, the Packers had a bad run defense. So that obviously is going to contribute um, to how you know the run game goes and how he looks. I still think, you know, there are times where he doesn't quite seem to have that same gear as you know before the injury. And again, I keep going back to I'm not necessarily saying it's because the injury is hampering him. It just seems like he's a little bit more tentative. And, you know, I think that's something that maybe over time, you know, he'll be able to fully work out. But there's definitely were, were moments where you saw sort of some of the old explosion. Um, you know, I, I respect, you know, how he handled that saying, like, let's stop talking about the injury because, you know, that is an excuse. If you're out there, the expectation that I can perform. Uh, and if everyone else wants to make the excuse, that's fine. But I, I respect him for saying, I'm not going to say that. So I want you all to stop saying it. Um yeah, I thought he had a solid game. It didn't, you know, you know, blow my socks off and say, oh, Saquon's back. But it was at least encouraging because it had been such a tough slog for him, you know, since coming back from the injury. So I think, yeah, it was a little bit of promise there. And now let's see if, you know, he can build on it here these last couple of games. But, yeah, definitely nice to see him not look, you know, kind of just so, you know, helpless every time he got the ball. He swarmed by, you know, five guys in the backfield. He at least had a, a chance to make some plays and definitely looked – you know, closer to the guy we've seen for the first, you know, whatever it was, 
18 games of his career. All right, one more pause to talk about Roman. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually people just brush it off or blame themselves saying things like I lost my mojo or we avoid it all together with excuses like I had a long day at work or sorry honey I'm just not feeling it but with Roman it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication it's simple safe and totally discreet with Roman you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com Giants and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com Giants to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com Giants for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com Giants. All right, so... There's still four games to go, Dan. I'm sorry to report to you that there's still four games to go. And if people uh, check out your, your, I guess it's your game recap of the game, but goes through a day in the life of, of Dan Duggan covering this Giants team, there's also some great insight into the game itself. So check that out on The Athletic. But things could get ugly from here. We heard Jenkins already speaking out a little bit. Um, I'm sure we're going to talk more about the ping pong table and, and whether it's there or not. Um but it all next, I guess, goes to, to Monday night in this game with the Eagles, who just lost to the Dolphins. They're going to be mad. I mean, what with four games to go, what can we kind of take solace in? What should we be looking for from this team? I mean, win. Like It's like it, it just yesterday showed that it's not this like hopeless endeavor that like, oh, we're young or, we're, you know, we're undermanned. So we just we have to lose every game. Like, you know, you ran down all the teams that won. I mean. The Eagles lost to the Dolphins. I mean, the Dolphins were a team that everyone was saying was trying to go 0-16, and now they have more wins than the Giants. The The Bengals were 0 for the season. They beat the Jets. The Redskins, who all the Giants fans have taken such delight in pointing out, you know, how bad Dwayne Haskins looked. You know, they beat the Panthers, I think it was in Carolina. So, like, you can still show, you know, little signs of, you know, to use Pat Chambers fair word, fight, and actually have it show up on the scoreboard. So, like, this Eagles team... It's kind of in a weird free fall here. I mean, I think everyone looked at their schedule and said as rough as their season had kind of been to that point, they have a chance to really get right. You know, Dolphins, Giants, Redskins, all these easy games. Well, the Dolphins showed that, like, these teams can be beat. There's not, you know, there's not a lot of elite teams in the NFL. So as much as, you know, I know Giants fans are, are probably more consumed with the draft position right now. And, hey, they're, in, they're sitting pretty at that number two spot and only a game out of number one. But, I, I mean, like, a win would, would just go a long way for, like, one week just to just change the narrative, change the mood. I mean, it's funny. You know, you mentioned my story. Like, I, I just – I had this sort of feeling like I write the same story every week. And, and it just – I mean, I'm sure it's boring for the readers. It's boring for me to write. So I had to just do something different. And, and it's like one of these deals where sometimes the – the angle is so obvious that you don't even see it because, like, people will ask me, man, what's it like covering a team that stinks this bad and loses every game? So I said, well, <laughs> let me let me show you. And it's funny, you know, we were talking before we, we, we uh, recorded, but, like, I, I wrote, I, you know, I had this idea ever in my mind that what I was going to do, and I kind of wrote the lead before the game, and, like, I'll read this sentence just because it's revealing. So when I explained why I just decided to do this, I said, rather than documenting the costly turnovers, 
defensive breakdowns and coaching blunders from an eighth straight loss, I decide to share what it's like to cover a hopeless team. I wrote that sentence at like 10 a.m. in the press box on Sunday. So I didn't wait to see how the game played out and said, oh, wait, check. There was costly turnovers. Oh, there was defensive breakdowns. and There was coaching blunders. It's just the same story I've seen every single week. So I knew I, you know, if I had to change it, I could have. But I felt pretty comfortable that that would be how things would play out. And obviously it did. Um, so it's it's pretty damning when a beat writer can write his negative slant to a game story before the ball's even kicked off. But I don't think anyone you know, was surprised by the outcome of that game. So like, just show us something that is actually tangible. Don't don't play hard for three quarters at Philly and then you know give up 14 unanswered to lose by three touchdowns. Like, just win. Like, win a game. Like, that's it's it's simple. I know it'd be a very short term gratification, but just like just win a game. Like that's I can't I can't come up with like what else are we gonna see in these last four games? Like you know like some. Julian Love looked pretty good yesterday. Like, is that really going to carry any optimism for people, you know, long-term into the future? Like, if Sam Beal, you know, shows something at corner, I mean, all that stuff would be nice. But, like, it's just it's been, it's been such a hopeless, depressing stretch of football. The only way to engender any sort of positivity is a win. Like, there's no more moral victories. Nobody is, is going to be encouraged if Daniel Jones has a pretty good game. Like, they need a win. And again, I know that that might not even be best case for the long term in terms of draft, you know, stock and everything like that. You lose the next couple of games. That's fine. Just just get one win against the division rival who they haven't been able to beat forever on Monday Night Football. I think that good feeling, you know, would, would go a long way at least to just stem this tide. I mean, it's just been so brutal and just so deflating to, you know, week after week have the same exact game play out. Yeah, and the losing streak, right? If the wins had been checkered in a little more, maybe it would even feel better. But they were back-to-back, and it's just been loss after loss after loss. It's really grueling for, I think, everybody, including the reporters who uh, who cover the team, for sure. Um, Thank God for the omelet station. That's the saving grace. (laughs) Yeah, and that's a good point of it that that you have, and and I guess Connor Hughes doesn't have, right, our our Jets reporter here at the Athletic, because only the Giants – do the omelet station on uh, on Sunday mornings. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a shocking re- realization when I got to that Jets home game a few weeks ago against the Giants. There's no omelets. I mean, what, is, what is this third-class t- operation they're running over here? <laughs> That's the kind of team that loses to the Bengals and the Dolphins in the same season. <laughs> Beat the Giants, though, so can't talk too much. Yeah. Uh, it's a big week here at The Athletic. Um, you can always go to theathletic.com slash the New York football podcast and get 40% off, but some special deals going this week because it's, it's cyber week. It used to be cyber Monday, Dan, it was black Friday. Then it was cyber Monday. Now it's cyber week and we're all in on it here at the athletic. So actually, if you want to give a gift of the athletic to someone else, you can go to the athletic.com slash gift. You get a t-shirt, they get a subscription on a, on a discounted rate. So that's another great deal. There's some other deals out there. You can save up to 50% off a subscription. So definitely check out that. Of course, we cover the NFL, also the college game. Alabama is out, and bowl season is almost here. Catch out, catch up on what's going on in the college football landscape on The Audible with Stu and Bruce. It's a great podcast here at The Athletic. Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman recapping the weekend and looking ahead to conference championship games coming up this weekend. If you don't already follow him on Twitter, follow Dan at DDuggan21. That'll do it for another edition of the New York Football Podcast.